0: I grew up with Bible drills. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody remember those? Grew up in church, maybe. You had to hold your Bible a certain way. Some people had to put it on the table. And then they would call out a chapter and a verse, and you would have to rush to try to get to it and be the first one. And you had to put your finger on the verse and then be able to read the verse out. Well, today we're going to do some Bible flipping. I want to encourage you, even though we put the, the scriptures on the screen, I, I still want to encourage you to bring your Bible. I think it's important. That way, you can write notes for later, and you know, I know heaven forbid you write in your Bible, but it's it's okay. It's just paper, and you can put down notes and read them uh, later. I, I love looking, at, you know, back at my old Bibles, my high school Bible and college Bible, and all these different notes, and I go, oh yeah, I remember that. It's a good thing to remember. So we're going to be doing. The, we're going to be in First Samuel and then Deuteronomy and our, our, our First Kings, then Deuteronomy, and back to First Kings. So we're kind of be all over because. Um, when, we, when we talk about the life and times of Solomon, we've been really talking about Solomon in a very positive light, in a very good light, in a, in a way that, uh, that's been pleasing to the Lord, and, and which has been wonderful, a good example for how we should be. But as Solomon gets older, um, he is not only the, the most powerful and wealthiest and wisest man on earth, he was blessed you know by God with this hu- superhuman wisdom and the whole world sought out his advice and he became very wealthy because of it but today we see how he de- you know kind of digresses uh, becomes a, a really a living parable for us an example of, of negative leadership of, of negative uh, decision making he, he was very wise but he made some unwise decisions here and there and it gets him to a point where, where he's a, really a negative example for us. Because we all know that starting something and finishing something is two different things, right? And, and if you have children, you understand that completely, you know. Start something and to finish something. Our bosses know that. If you're a boss, you understand that when it comes to your employees. We're going to finish with Solomon today. Not First Kings, but Solomon. And he does not finish well, does not finish well at all. And this is exactly what the prophet Samuel predicted before the first king of Israel ever came to be over a 100 years back. And, uh, you know, you might remember the story that Samuel anoints Saul. And Samuel was one of the last great prophets uh, for Israel. And and Israel came to him and said, hey, we don't like uh, having a prophet. We don't like having this spiritual leadership for our country because, you know, we're a country now. We're, you know, we're, a, we're Israel now, so, so we need a king just like the rest of the world. And Samuel said, are you really want to, to do that? Samuel was hurt and he was discouraged. He had worked very hard on behalf of Israel of being, the, you know, between them and God and trying to give Israel direction. And Israel was acting like a spoiled child. Their big complaint was, we were not like everybody else and we want to be just like everyone else. Well, Samuel knew these people, and he knew what would happen, and he says, it says in 1 Samuel 8, 7, it says, the Lord told him, listen to all the people saying to you, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. He's basically saying, Samuel, it's not you that they're upset with. It's not about you. It's about me. They're upset with my leadership. Uh, They don't like this arrangement, so give them what they want. Give them a king. And this is a very interesting theological point for us, because God will give us and allow things in our lives that are not, not for our best. If we beg enough, if we go to God enough, God will eventually say, not always, but God can eventually say, you know what, that's not your best, that's not what I really wanted for you, but if that's all you want, then sure, go ahead and we'll see the results. And as a parent, if you've been around children or teach children, you understand that concept as well. It's like, okay, do you really want to do this? Okay, that's your choice. Because if that's your choice, it's not a good choice, I'm telling you, and this is what God said, this is not a good choice for you. But if that's what you want, we'll do it. Lord, I really, really want to marry him or her. And God's sitting there going, but that's not not a good match for you. Lord, I I really want this job. I have my heart set on this job. Lord, I want this possession. And I believe there's times when God says, okay, I've tried to discourage you. I've tried to lead you down a different path. I've sent good people to advise you on this, and you still choose, I would have done it differently. I've shown you in my word, but if you want it, you can have it. I believe if we say we want enough, you know the word want. I want, I want, I want. God God sometimes allows it. But it's not always a grass is greener on the other side type of thing. And, And we always think the best when we want something. Some of us would say, Lord, don't ever do that in my life. And the Lord's response, I think, would be, well, then, Alan, quit saying want so much in your life. Lord, I don't want you to, to give me something that's not good for me. Well, Alan, stop desiring those things that aren't good for you. Start changing your attitude about that. Not my will, but your will, your will God. I trust, for, I trust what you have for me. And that's important because when Samuel warns Israel what will happen to them in verse 11, he says, this is what a king who, reign, who will reign over you will do. And he goes on and lists a whole, but you can go back and read it. I'm not going to go through all of it, but he goes and lists a whole thing, you know, a whole bunch of things. And One, he says, they will plow your fields. They will have your people that are supposed to be working for your family plow the fields for him. In other words, the grain will come to the kingdom. They will build his buildings. They will drive his chariots. They will go to war for him. They will be his warriors. And this is exactly what Solomon did he drafted 183,000 men to work on, you know, for him building the temple. And it wasn't totally voluntary, even though the temple was a really cool thing. Then after seven years, he didn't let them go home and say, great job, guys, the temple, we had a great celebration. He said, oh, wait, wait, now it's time to build my palace. And then for another seven years, they worked to build his palace, which was pretty pretty huge and cool. And we'll kind of get into some of that. In fact, he um, His Egyptian wife even got her own palace. So sorry, Lisa, that's not going to happen, but that's what Solomon did. But secondly, the scriptures say in verse 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Many of them, you know, actually became his wives. And once he takes them, you, you really can't have them back. I, I just took your young daughter and put her into my palace to to bake my cookies for me or bake my bread for me and, and those in my palace. You don't get your daughter back. In fact, you don't get to see your daughter anymore or your son who is a, you know working in the palace. All these different things. First couple of ladies, I, I bet you they were kind of excited. Wow, the king wants me to be there. Then after about three hundred are taken, they're not so excited about that anymore. But if you live in the palace, you you never you know. Never gone beyond that. And then in verse 14 he says, He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. Four, he will he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to the officials and attendants. And number five, he will he will take a you know he will basically take your pickup truck. Okay, verse sixteen is a really cool name for their models. Back then they were called donkeys. And and he will take those for himself. Verse 16, your manservants and maidservants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. And then number six, he will, he will take a tenth, of the, a tenth of your flocks and, your, and you yourselves will become his slaves. One-tenth of everything he would take, not for God, but for the kingdom, the kingdom of under his authority, not God's authority. You see what I'm saying? under his leadership, the government here. This is exactly what happens with Solomon. Thousands of people are living and eating on the government's expense. If we could only imagine that today. But, uh, yeah. But Samuel warned them. He told them, instead of the king serving you, you will become his servants. In verse, verse 18, he says, when, the day, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief for, from the king you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. I'm sure this had to break Samuel's heart. I mean, just the struggle of him going, this is not good, knowing this is not good for the people. I just told them what a king would do for them, and they still want a king. I don't get this, Lord, and the Lord goes, okay, go ahead and give him a king. Israel, at this, at this point, reminds me of the, the kid who grew up in a Christ, uh, Christian home and, and says, well, I, don't, you know, I didn't get a lot of cool, fun stuff that my friends got. I didn't get to do what my friends got to do. I, didn't get, you know, I wasn't as popular as them. I wasn't allowed to go to those movies. I wasn't allowed to do this or allowed to do that, that whole debate between what you're allowed to do as a child or not. Well, Ma, all my other friends are doing this, and this is why I'm not popular, Mom. It's all because of what you were choosing for me. If I was allowed to do these things or do that thing, then, then, you know, that your narrow, restrictive, you know, Bible-minded person that you are, your ways, you're wrecking my life. You don't trust me. I don't like to be this way. I don't want to have values. And we need to resist when our children say that kind of stuff to us. Now, they may not say it exactly in those words. But we need to resist because we need to implement values into their life. They may not be like the world. That's because we're not supposed to be like this world. This is what Israel looks like here, like the prodigal son in the New Testament. And you finally said, okay, fine, take the inheritance, leave, you try it, and we'll see where you end up. And as the prodigal story goes, he ended up in the pig pen, Literally. You know, it's many times that these kids that go out and be like the world come back later in life. They come back to the church and they say, let me work with the youth because I want to tell them what not to do. It's the young lady who gets pregnant before she's married. Comes back and says, I want to work with the youth because I want to encourage them not to go that direction. The destructive nature that it will cause in their life. The relationship breaks that happen in their life don't do these things. What's interesting is that I've learned this. God can either save you from something or he can save you from something. You get my point? He can either save you from going that direction or he can pull you out of the pit that you've slidden down into and have to save you there. Which, which part would you rather be saved in? Yeah, exactly. I don't want to be dragged out of the pit. If we would just recognize God's ways, God's morals, it would help us struggle, you know, not struggle so much because we would learn how to trust in God, just trust in God. And the younger we start to learn this, the better off our lives are in the long run. Do you realize a midlife crisis is just teenage rebellion 20 years later? That's all it is. And it will wreck a family. It will destroy a family. I never got the car I wanted. Now, if you've bought a car in your midlife, don't, I mean, I'm not saying that this is exactly what it is. You know what I'm saying? If you bought the motorcycle, you know, or bought whatever, um, you know, I'm not trying to say that. But, you know, the point of, well, my wife just doesn't look like she's 19 anymore. Well, have you looked in the mirror lately? You know, a friend of mine, um, grandfather said this. He said, when he turned 40, he looked at his wife and said, honey, I'm going to, I'm going to trade you in for 220s. And his wife looked at him and said, honey, you're not wired for 220. So, yeah. So here goes Israel. By the time Solomon was king, things didn't go you know, smoothly always. Do you remember Haram, uh, David's friend? They become really good friends. Uh, you know, st- they start bartering and trading back uh, the city of Tyre, the country up there, and, you know, up in the Lebanon area, and they start trading things back and forth, made a lot of money for, for both men. And Solomon kind of runs out of stuff to trade at one point. Solomon's going, okay, well, he kind of the storehouses are getting empty. What do we do? He goes, I know. I'll give him 20 of the northern cities. He'll like that. So he gives Hiram 20 cities. 20 cities full of Jewish people who are God's people, and he just gives them away to another country. Now, for the wisest man in the world, this was not very wise. You know what I'm saying? It's not what God wanted. Yesterday, we were Jewish. Today, the city sign is changing. Our king is now Hiram. Solomon has gone away and Solomon starts to act like the kings of the world. Just I can barter, I can do whatever I want to do because I am in charge. Trading cities are and, and, and people are like it just becomes normal for him. Hibern visits the area in first Kings nine twelve and he, he doesn't like the cities and, and he renames the whole region Cabal, or Kabul, which to this day means good for nothing. So Solomon gave him 20 cities that even the Solomon didn't want. And the new king's sitting there going, man, this isn't that good. So he gets traded by one king who doesn't value him, and they get a new king who doesn't value him. Kind of bartered like baseball cards. I mean, so far we've seen Solomon in a great light, but today he just, we see the negative here. Solomon gives us all these Proverbs and just beautiful sayings. You go read the book of Proverbs and everything. You're sitting there going, wow, that's such wisdom here. He gives us lots of, of great prayers. He shows us what to do with our wealth. He shows us how to, how to really worship the Lord. But now he's turned from what he has learned. He's turned from what he, what he grew up with and hasn't gone the way of his father. And Solomon's failure of leadership here, and there's about a dozen different things that, that I came up with. The first one is Solomon mistook stewardship for ownership. And this can be a fatal mistake for, for you know, whether it's government, whether it's a company, whether it's, a, you know, families or, or schools, any type of leadership that, you, that, that affects other people. We need to allow the Lord to lead. God will either make you successful or he will, you know, if you allow him to be in control, he will make you successful. No matter how small or large the company gets, you will be a success in God's eyes. The Lord takes and the Lord gives. So let the Lord lead. When we turn things over to God, then blessings come. When we start to to give him the things to handle, Lord, how should I do this? How should I lead here? then stewardship is, you know, becomes a great reward for us. But it's not ownership. It's not ownership. Secondly, Solomon took too much for himself. He always thought of himself first. Have you ever had a friend like this? They're always thinking of themselves and manipulating everything to themselves. They're, they're always fun to be around. Godly leaders uh, think of, uh, of others first. And this is what Jesus modeled for us. And it will bless you if you start to think about others first. And this is a a thing that takes time to learn. And and I'm still not there. You know what I'm saying? We're all in that process of where we have to start, you know, having a child for me has been great because it it got the focus off of me a little bit. Because now the things that my wife and I do are, are what? For the family, not necessarily for us. And, and, you know, we did a lot of stuff for for us as individuals. We did a lot of stuff for our families and, uh, you know, my wife and I. But now that we have children, it it changes the mixture here. God will bless us if we think of others first. Don't stab other people in the back. Those under our control should should, uh, not feel like we're being, uh, you know, that we have our thumb on them. They should feel like they're being served by us. They they should feel like you're a wonderful boss or a wonderful teacher or a wonderful family leader even though you are in charge because you love them enough and you know them and therefore you're not lording it over them. Thirdly, Solomon does not respect those under his authority. He doesn't respect them. He just gave away 20 cities, 20 communities of God. You know, for him, respect kind of flowed upward. Respect didn't flow back down to the people. Fourthly, we see partiality. And, and if you go back and read the scripture, we're not going to go through all this, but take my word for it, or don't take my word for it, research it out, either way. But Solomon favored the southern cities. That's why he gave away the northern 20 cities. He's, he favored the, 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 the southern uh, tribes of Israel. That's where his own tribe was from, the south. But the citizens of Judah, you know, the the citizens from where he was from didn't even have to pay taxes. They didn't have to build stuff. Well, you you went out to the country to grab all the people to, to come in and work. You know, the city folk, my folk, we don't do that. That was the thinking. I mean, how do you think this went over for the other tribes? And when you see Solomon dying, you see, you know, a ton of problems start to to arise. Because godly leaders are fair to everyone, just not the ones that they favor. This can be difficult. It can be really difficult. They're fair even to people that they just don't personally get along with. Now, how many of us like to do that? You know... Our thought pattern is, well, I like this person, so I favor them. I dislike this person. Maybe it's personality. Maybe it's they think a little differently than us or they do things differently than us. So we automatically have a negative concept and a negative dealing with that person because they're different. And God's sitting there going, no, no, no. I made you all different for a reason, and that's okay. Be fair with each other. This is tough. We can be unfair to those that we don't like, and it's ungodly. I mean, look at Jesus with Judas. One of the reasons they didn't suspect Judas was going to betray Jesus, and I'm sure that Jesus knew that Judas Judas was the one who was going to, to, uh, um, you know, uh, stab him in the back, let's say. The reasons he wasn't suspected was because Jesus was so fair with him. He didn't go around going, "Yep, Judas, I know it's you. You're the one that's going to betray me. He didn't go around doing that, but he knew, but he was so fair with him. Now, I'm not saying let's be foolish, but we can be fair to everyone. With parenting, let's be fair. You know, the, oh, the favorite child, the not favorite child. I don't know how your family dynamics are. Some families are like that. Some families aren't like that. But we need to be fair. As teachers, I know that going through junior high, I mean, as I was a junior high leader, and I had my favorite kids in the youth group, and I had my not-so-favorite kids in the youth group i had to learn how to be fair with that and as teachers and you know as a boss whatever company you work with if you're over people or you deal with people you have to be fair now later on um when we get to first kings 10 26 we see another thing that solomon did solomon accumulated chariots and horses he had 1400 chariots and twelve thousand horses that's a lot of horses Okay, now we could, we could substitute tanks and warriors here. You know, we could, uh, we could you know, substitute modern things here in this kind of thinking, but he accumulated this stuff. It's like a modern day tank here. And he, he stationed all these different things in, in what they call chariot cities. And in fact, here's a, here's a view from one of the chariot cities. This is overlooking what, we, uh, what is technically called Har Megiddo, the valley of Megiddo. Armageddon in our English that we like to say, but it's actually Har, H A R, Megiddo. Okay? And you're, we're actually on the Megiddo Tell. And a tell is just basically civilizations as, as they destroy one civilization, they build right on top of it and they keep going. Well, there's like 14 civilizations. So you have this Tell, this mound that kind of keeps building up. And uh, how they find out about those different 14 civilizations, they will take one little area and dig straight down. So the high walls are there, and they will see different civilizations as they go down it. Because they can't just take off the whole top, because they would lose the top civilization. See my point? Just nod. Just, even if you don't see it, just, just nod. Okay, good. Because I could keep explaining it if you want me to. Um, but here's another view. This is, the chari- this is one of the chariot cities. Megiddo was. And, and this is literally what, you know, we think of a manger, the wooden thing, you know, the little hay sticking out. and all. This is actual manger right here. Uh, a lot of stone was used for horse troughs and stuff like that for, to hold water. And this is the area that all the horses were at. And I think, do I have two or three? Okay, I just have two pictures there. But, but uh, you know, we're standing on the tail of here. And there's actually 18 layers, not 14 layers of civilization there. And we're looking down into that valley. But Megiddo was a chariot city where four hundred and fifty of the twelve thousand horses were kept there to to protect the the northern end of this valley, watching over a very important trade route because literally all the trade from from two different regions went through that valley. There was no other way to get around it. it had to go through that valley, so it was protected it was uh, people wanted it in fact, the Egyptians end up um, taking care of that uh, for a long time. In verse 28, we see uh, horses imported from Egypt. It said Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and, and from Kew. Uh, the royal merchants purchased them from Kew, and they imported the chari- you know, a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And basically what happens here is you go and do a little more studying here, you find out Solomon became an arms dealer. He would ship all these, he made a, he'd deal with the Egyptians and they would ship all these horses and chariots there and as the other groups would pass through, he would sell them off. Just like we do today with the U.S., you know, sells arms to certain governments and, and when we're in agreement with them, I don't know what happens when we're not in agreement with them anymore, but that's exactly what he was doing in an international known arms dealer here and Israel got a little cut of that, even to the Hittites and the Syrians and they were not their friends. So he sells top-quality, state-of-the-art weaponry to people who will later use it against his own nation. Now, this would never happen today. This this kind of stupidity would not go on, right? I mean, fortunately, we have 3,000 years of history to to work with here, so we know not to do that, never be repeated. Because that would be really short-sighted of us, right? Really foolish of us. It's amazing how we do the same things over and over as humans. Now, the issue concerning horses in Egypt, it became a bigger issue concerning Solomon and the children of Israel when you go to Deuteronomy 17, 16. Now, who wrote Deuteronomy? Anyone, anyone? Moses. Moses wrote Deuteronomy. And Moses lived hundreds of years before Solomon. And depending on who you talk to, either 12 50 B.C. or 1500 B.C., Solomon is at 900 B.C., okay? So three to 600 years before Solomon, God tells Moses they will want a king, and this is what the king will do. And we just, you know, they just got out of Egypt, you know, they're sitting there going, okay, they had a kind of king in Egypt, a guy in charge in Egypt, who would ever want a king again after that, right? 400 years of of slavery, of course we won't want that, uh, won't want that and then moses uh, writes down the king moreover was not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to egypt to get more of them for the lord has told you you are not to go back that way again god tells him specifically don't acquire horses from egypt and he also says, don't acquire a lot of horses. But he says, especially from them, don't deal with them because that represents bondage. Just don't even go back there. You know, when you get out of a bad situation and they tell, tell people, I mean, we can use alcohol for an example or, 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 or drugs or something like that. If you've gone through that, you understand, you don't go back to those same places, right? That would be a bad idea. That would not be wise, to put yourself, you've got it cleaned up, you're you're on a good path, and then you go back into the same bar, you go back and, and hang out with the same friends. What does that do? Well, that represents a bad time, and you could get dragged right back into it, right? God said sitting there telling Israel, don't go back to Egypt. Egypt was not good for you. Well, what did Solomon do? <laughs> he went there and he got horses from Egypt. Then in verse 17, it says, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led led astray. God wanted the king to guard his heart. In our marriages, we need to guard our heart. We should not have multiple wives or multiple husbands. Now, most of the time, it's not multiple husbands, it's multiple wives. But I thought I'd just throw that in there. It has never worked out. Not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament, not even on TV as we know today with multiple wives and TV shows. It doesn't work out. He goes on and says, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold because the wealth was supposed to be shared with Israel, not collected for themselves. It wasn't his gold, it wasn't for him to keep. But he was like, no, 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 no. this is all mine, this is all mine. Verse 18, it says, When he takes the throne of the kingdom, he, must, he, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken uh, from that of the priests who are Levites. God wanted him to handwrite his own copy of the Bible as they knew it at that day. He wanted him to at least have gone through the Bible at least once. At least once. And it goes on and says in verse 19. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so he can learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of the law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers and turn from the law to the right or the left then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. If you want to lead anything your family, your work your kids in school, your classmates, if you want to lead, God wants you to read your Bible daily. He wants you to be in the Word. He does. Well, I I just, man, time just seems to fly. I don't have time for that. Really, what's your favorite TV show? What's your favorite sport that you watch on TV? You see what I'm saying? If it's important to us, we put our time, effort, and energy into it. So let's allow this to become important. Make time. Get up earlier. Stay up later. Do what you need to do. Even if it's just a couple of verses, learn the Word of God by being in the Word of God. Because His Word is so different than how the world thinks. We are inundated with the world every day. I mean, my son, I, I'm so... Thankful that I have a DVR that I can fast forward through commercials because my son already wants enough. And thank the Lord that he doesn't really watch TV on his own. We're usually with him, and I can fast forward through the commercials 30 second button, 30 second button, 30, you know. I hit it really fast and it goes all the way through because then he's not going, Well, oh, I want that, Daddy, I want that. The times that I do forget, guess what? He goes, I want that. We're inundated with it. We should be in the Word of God. We really should. And allow the Holy Spirit to start to apply it to our lives. But how can the Holy Spirit apply it to our lives if we're not in it? I can't just think about losing weight, I have to do something about it. Staring at broccoli does not make it taste good. I've tried. You just have to eat it with a lot of butter, but you just have to eat it. I don't think he studied the Bible. I don't think Solomon did. And this is why Solomon's straight. Don't have multiple wives. He had multiple wives. Don't go to Egypt. He went to Egypt. Don't have horses. He had a ton of horses. This is Solomon's mandate. They don't really relate to us, okay? The horses thing and all this kind of stuff. You know, well, some of it relates to us, but not all of it. You know, see what I'm saying? What's God's pr- you know, mandate for us? What is God's promises and commands for us? because ignorance, you know, in this instance is not bliss. Ignorance of what God wants from us and what we do is not a good thing. Start reading the word. Number five, Solomon ignored God's command. The Lord said, I'm going to bless you, but here's some boundaries. It's what I'm teaching Brandon right now. Okay. Okay. Here's where my blessing lies, and here's where my boundaries lie. You cross these boundaries. He had a golf ball at home yesterday, and he's been dropping it, you know, in our kitchen on the tile. That's fine, it's not a big deal. But I said, don't throw that. It will break something. And the first thing the first time he reared his arm back and he let go of that thing, I'm like, no, that's it. That's it. You you cross the boundary. I'm taking that from you. You no longer get blessed with playing with that. Solomon totally ignored the Lord. The forbidden fruit attracted him. He ate of that tree, and it didn't go so well for him. What is it about the warnings of God that we just ignore them? What is it about that? God has a plan. God has a desire. God has a way to get it done, and we just ignore it. I don't know why we do that. Number six, with God, the process is just as important as the result. This is why he came and spent time with us before he paid for, for our sins. He could have just came down three days you know, or, or a week before he was supposed to die on the cross, go through Passion Week, go through the beatings, die on the cross, go to, go to hell basically, and then three days later, rise from the dead and been done with it. But he came down here and spent time with us because the process is just as important as the result. We follow the Lord instead of going the ways of the world. Number seven, Solomon was not accountable to anyone. And this is sad. Even David was accountable. David had Nathan, that Nathan could come to him and, and say, you really messed up on this one, and they could just really have it out. And in the end, David would go, okay, you're right. Solomon didn't have that. Even when he was finally confronted, we will see how he acted. And, you know, if he would have had a godly wife, someone to reign him in, Say honey I don't I don't think so that's just, that's just not right but instead he married 4 to 500 women if not more than that no one held him accountable number 8 in first kings 11 it says solomon king solomon however loved many foreign women well this says it all right here you know I don't know if it was the accent or what that he was just attracted to but he didn't like the church girls He didn't like the Jewish girls, that is for sure. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters. Moabites, Amorites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. Anyone but the one that God would have provided for him. Even after God says, hey, don't marry foreign women. Now, this is not a racial thing. Don't, Don't take it like that. Today you are free to marry a, somebody who is not the same skin, skin color, somebody who is not the same nationality. You are free to do that. God is God would bless that as long as they have the same belief system as what you believe. It's about belief system, not skin color. Okay, that's what it's about. It's not a racial thing. Because if we if we marry outside our beliefs, it just causes trouble. I don't care if you marry a black, Hispanic, white, African, Egyptian, Algerian, Indian, or any other culture, as long as they believe what you believe. This is about faith and religion. Those women believed and served other gods. They believed in false gods. And God says, I don't want you to to do this because they will take your heart and turn it away from me. In verse 3, it says that he had about a thousand women in his life, and it led him astray. It led him away from God. God, I mean, Solomon compromised in marriage and family and decisions on that end. He compromised. So, what should we do if we've done this? Well, God says stay faithful to the person. You're to stay faithful to the one that you've married. And that you should live for Jesus to bring them toward him. To bring them toward him. So if you go on that route, you've got to deal with it. And then you live in such a, a great way. It doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. It doesn't mean that you're not going to say the wrong things every now and then and, or whatever. But you need to train yourself to live in a way that they sit sitting there going, okay, I know I've royally messed up, but look how they still treat me. I want what they have. And over time, over time it happens. But if you're not married yet, young people, listen to me or older people who want to still get married. You know, you you need to understand, don't compromise. Don't cut corners. Don't do it. But I love her. She is so cute. He is so handsome. I think they're really funny. It doesn't matter. All that stuff is secondary. Do they love the Lord? Do they love the Lord? That's what matters. See, Solomon was an absent father and really an absent husband because he compromised. There's few decisions in life that that are as important as this one. The first one is accepting Jesus into your life. The second one is who you marry. Now, I really lucked out, and I don't know how I lucked out. Thank the Lord for that. But we need to go to God about these things. I don't care that we live in the 21st century. A marriage is between a man and a woman, and it should not be compromised. Because who you marry will influence you for the rest of your life. But I love Him. God will allow that. But it'll be really hard. Better to wait for a Christian than marry a non-Christian. Because the pain of a spouse not being a Christian will haunt you. Will haunt you. God blessed me with a great wife and marriage. We don't scream and shout at each other. We listen to each other most of the time. You want good advice? Go talk to my wife. She's a very wise woman. She's prevented me from making huge mistakes in my life. And the reason is we have an awesome marriage. Not because we're perfect. Not because we don't mess up and do things that are dumb or stupid or or say stuff that we shouldn't say or or be a little short with each other once in a while. But it starts with, we both love Jesus Christ. Amen? That's where it begins. Number 9, in verse 4, it says... It shows that the, the woman turned his heart and he wasn't loyal anymore. It says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. As, his heart of, as the heart of David his father had been, he followed Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Amorites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. Now, we've talked about different gods in the past who, who were worshipped, so we won't go back through it, but some of them are pretty sick. I mean, one of them, literally, your firstborn. If, if you're a firstborn, raise your hand. Okay, if your parents worshipped the god Molech, you would not be here today. You would have been sacrificed. You would have been killed to that god, okay? Israelites were doing this kind of stuff also because they'd been led astray, by stuff like marrying people who didn't believe what they believed and other things. I mean, this is the guy who built the temple of the only God. And now he's building temples to all these false gods. What happened to him? He worshipped like at some point. He sacrificed. I mean, he had a thousand women. A thousand women. And I'm sure many of those women had babies. And they would be considered firstborn from that family. And I'm sure some of those were sacrificed to the god Molech because he was led astray. This is a man who built the temple and had the wonderful prayer. And we think, how perverse is that? How could someone who started out so strongly end so poorly? He's like the the poster child of, of, of human potential. I mean, Solomon started out so great, great potential, great potential. But if your spirit has not conformed to the Lord, you are not going to end well. If your spirit goes away from God, you will not end good. You will go the way of the world, and how sad is that? It'd be so sad. I, you know, I talk to my old youth pastor ever so often, and 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 you know what really bums him out the most? He's a, he's a pastor now in Texas still, and he goes, so many kids that I taught had so much, so much great potential in their lives. And I read about them on Facebook because you know he still keeps up with a lot of us and it just saddens my heart what they're going through because they lost that potential because they went the way of the world. How sad is that? We're human. Guard against that. Great potential. Great potential. But if our minds are not in sync with the mind of God, then you're not really in relationship with him. You start great and you just kind of fizzle out. People are going to say, I just don't know what happened to them. Wow. Number 10, it's, you know, it's, he did not wholeheartedly have a relationship with God. By the time he wraps up his life, he is a wicked, old, perverted, wealthy man worshiping many false gods. How sad is that? How sad? If you don't cultivate your relationship with God daily, you will not end well in your life. You won't. You can have everything laid out before you in this life, but if you don't have a relationship with God, none of it matters. I mean, think about the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, we don't really study that book that often, but if you go and read it, and it says, you know, Solomon wrote this, and he says, man, I blew it. My, my life is worth nothing. Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 2.4, I read it. It's actually said, he says, I got everything, everything I ever wanted in life. Everything I wanted to do, I was able to do. And he lays out all his accomplishments. And then he says, and I hated my life. Wow. He hated his life. The wisest man in the world hated his life, and all because he he was not wholeheartedly in a relationship with God. If you hate your life right now, then take the history of Solomon to heart. Take the history here. Develop and watch out for a relationship with God because it will turn out so much better. I guarantee if you start that relationship today, 30 days from now, your life will be, will be for the better. Now, it doesn't mean everything will be straightened out, but you will be on a good path if you start that relationship with him today, the deeper relationship. And the last thing is that he gave great advice but didn't live by that advice. The wisest man on earth could give great advice, but he didn't live by it. He wrote Proverbs and ignored them. Do as I say, not as I do. He, you know, he had great wisdom and didn't live by it. And In verse 9 of 1 Kings 11, it says, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. It's not like God went around willy-nilly appearing to everybody and anybody. He you know he appeared to Solomon twice twice So God gets angry and, and we will see next week how God raises up adversaries to Solomon. Hadad and you know and Egypt will come against him and and you know they come all the way up to Megiddo and the Egyptians actually rule in Megiddo for years and years and years. You can actually go now to to the, the area where, where Solomon was actually, at Beit Shan where Solomon, I mean not Solomon, but Saul and his son Jonathan, their heads were literally nailed into the outside walls up on the tail, up on the deal. And you can go up there and there's Egyptian hieroglyphics written into the, the stone and stuff up there. Because Egypt ruled in this land for many years because of the decisions of people like Solomon. The Syrians attack and even a guy named Jeroboam, an Israelite, meets with a prophet and the prophet says that God will split Israel, God will will split them all up. Solomon hears about this and instead of repenting, he was unrepentant. Israel comes to Solomon when he was old and said, you blew it, let Jeroboam lead us. And what what does he do? He seeks out to kill Jeroboam. How dare you? And Israel sitting there going, we just want a godly leader. We want a godly king. So next week we'll get to that. Well, let's stand as the worship team comes and we will seek God's advice for our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that, that we are not like Solomon in an aspect of we start out strong and then we fizzle later in life. Help us cultivate a relationship with you to to grow that relationship to a point where we're not later in life going, I blew it. We want to be strong Christians, Lord, and we need that leading in our lives from the Holy Spirit. We pray that you allow the Spirit to awaken in us and lead us down the path of of assurance. Lead us down the path of making good decisions. And when we blow it, Lord, we're so thankful that we can come to you and ask for forgiveness because you're there and ready to forgive. We pray that you'd lead us the days of our lives. You know how many days we're going to be here. And I pray that we don't waste those days. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may He give you grace and mercy this Easter. May He make your life an invitation to others to seek Him out. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.